and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Work It Out podcast, where we invite leaders and experts with a wide range of insights for you. From startups to global brands, we dive into the ins and outs of their industries to work out their formulas for success. Today, we are delighted to host Cornelia Ray, CEO at Flex Club, an Amsterdam-based fintech which offers branded flexible payment solutions for rental companies to grow revenue and retain customers. Cornelia is also a product and startup enthusiast with over eight years of experience in companies such as Deutsche Bank, Blue Moon, OneFit, and many others. Enjoy listening. Cody, welcome to the Work It Out podcast here in our office uh, at PCN. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, love the office, love the dog. And I'm pretty sure we will have a good time. Definitely. Yeah. I always start by asking the guests to introduce themselves a little bit. So who are you? Where do you come from? Uh, what do you do now? Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, let's do that. So yeah, my name is Connie. Uh, I'm from Germany. Um, I guess the accent gives it away. Um, my background is in economics uh, with a strong focus on, on social psychology. I really like trip out about human behavior. I guess the same as you. I, I remember we talked about it once. I like people too. I like to think, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I spent actually the last eight years in like in product, like building products, staffing product teams, leading teams, all kind of different things. And started off at Deutsche Bank and worked there in a division like called Digital Innovation. And yeah, then at some point realized, now I do want to make my way to the startup world, move to Amsterdam. And worked there at two different starts and scale-ups. The first one, Blumon, the flower subscription. Back then, built their gift product from scratch, uh, which was super exciting because we had an operational arm and I really like uh, figured out it's super challenging to align like a digital release with basically a physical release. We could do another episode just on that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, then worked at OneFit, mainly focusing on like boosting retention. It's like, don't go to ClassPass. At that time, ClassPass entered the market. Yeah. And yeah, helped navigating um, basically our acquisition by Urban SportsGov. So this is super exciting. And then in 2021, um, joined FlexGov. Um, was the first time for me building actually a product for, for the African market, which is also really different than, or like really a different target audience. And yeah, that's where I'm still at, um, CEO at FlexGov. Um, and yeah, that's a bit like to my to my background. Great. Before we talk about maybe flesh up in, in more detail, how do you go from product to operations? Uh, yes. <laughs> so indeed, like I'm actually a product baby. So I, I always did product. Um, but I guess at FlexCap, why I did the shift from VP of product to, to COO was actually two things. Naturally, I already like took on a lot of like more CEO responsibilities because I'm really like people focused. Mm-hmm. You remember like a trip out about human behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I already did like, okay, how do we do the all hands? How do we do OKRs? How do we like run performance reviews and those kind of things? So that was like for me, like a natural step, but also at that time we really realized that what we need on the operations team is actually more product thinking. So more like problem solving um, and less like just running, running, running. And then we said that that actually makes sense. So two things I would say to summarize this. So my, my passion for people <laughs> and I would say my, my natural, um, n- me naturally being drawn to that. And the second one was just really like a business need to to make sure on the operation side, we productize the processes we are doing. But when you were CEO, did mean you still had product under you, yeah? Um, no, we actually did a bit of that shift. So I was focusing on operations, um, finance, HR, basically, and Tinasha, our CEO, on more like product tech. 
because we also at that time realized like he was he is of course the one who, who raised 10 million over the course of four years yeah. so he's great at like really like storytelling and really understands the market well and i also wanted to make sure we take that knowledge and make sure it sits super close with what we are building but product which wasn't necessarily the case before so that was that was a good idea makes sense yeah so first up is four years you've been there for two and a half uh yes yes um What's your journey been like? Maybe from the moment you started at Flip Club until now, I believe there's been quite a sort of roller coaster of a ride. Yeah. But like better words. Um, can you talk a bit more about that? What was it like? You mean what what happened? What's the story? Why are we here? <laughs> Why is it worth a podcast episode? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So uh, maybe for a bit lack of context for the for the audience. So FlexCap started as like an aggregated marketplace for Uber drivers to subscribe to cars, basically. Um, on a weekly basis. So also like two of the founders actually came from Uber. Um, so they were building up that marketplace. You go there as an Uber driver, select your car. And then we at FlexCap would like do the risk assessment and the payments. And then you can drive your car basically. Um, with operations in South Africa and Mexico, one of the um, founders um, is Mexican. And so that's a bit like the situation we were in. And then 2021, um, when I joined, um, COVID hit and um, we decided to tap into the consumer market. So also like offering car subscriptions in a bit different way on a monthly basis to consumers. Um, so we added that to the marketplace and really the interesting piece, I guess, to understand was like our business model was commission-based. So basically we were responsible to um, the car rental companies so whose cars we basically had on the marketplace to collect the monthly subscription fee. Um, and not, we didn't just have the upside when we were able to collect, but also like if someone wouldn't pay, we were also still responsible to pay that. So we almost were acting actually like a credit card. We realized that over time, like we're, this is like this is like a high risk business model, of course. Yeah. So imagine like you pay $300 for your car subscription, we can't collect anything, then we would still need to give 90% of that to the car rental company. Right. So that was a bit the business model we were in and then, but what we realized, so we started with, of course, zero traffic or demand on that um, consumer subscription. But then we, we, in a really short amount of time, we went from zero car subscriptions to, to hitting the thousand mark. So we really were thinking, well, wow, this is like product market fit. This is crazy. <laughs> it was in hindsight a bit more like we had a big spend on performance marketing. <laughs> so it does make sense that we were like going quite fast. Um, but yeah, so we were quite on a, on a good um, traction. And then in, yeah, in 2022, the market was actually changing and it was just way harder to raise capital. And at the same time, we were also, as we were growing, we realized, of course, we're growing, but also we add more credit loss to our balance sheet because just uh, by design, what happens in a business like this. So as you're learning around the product, you um, you have credit losses. So um, yeah, so that was that. was that. So we were observing that and we we're like, okay, what, what can we do? And how can we basically be more capital efficient? Because at that time we had also a team of, I guess it was almost like 70, 80 people. So we had quite a big team. We had those credit losses, we were growing, um, but also the whole, product got just more complex to give you an example so we had this marketplace for uber drivers consumers mexico south africa but then we were also along the way experimenting with um 
adding a product proposition for SMEs. We were doing all kinds of different activities throughout the process, like um, from distribution to risk assessment, fulfillment of the car, customer support, dunning when someone doesn't pay. So we had like uh, a really big suite of suite of products we were um, we were offering. So we were like, okay, we need to be more capital efficient. So we locked ourselves in a room that was late 2022 and said, okay, let's take a step back. Let's look at like what we're doing and um, how we want to like move on from here. Um, so we did that, and actually, what we landed. Um, at after this one week, as we said, we need to do almost like a pivot, or at least like we need to change gears and do a massive change in strategic direction. Yeah, so that's where we were at. Um, at. And then basically what we landed with was, we said, we need to change the business model first. So from commission model to transaction fees, a bit like Azura, Charge B, so more like subscription management tools. We want to spin off Mexico as its own entity, because actually Mexico itself was running profitably, which was great. Yeah. And, but we said on the South African side, we need to like, we need to choose, do we do Uber, do we do Uber Eats business or consumers? And we said, no, we focus only on consumers and we strip off um, the old products basically. Why only consumers? Because it's less risky? Um, because we, we realized the best path for us to move on is actually do a, have a B2B proposition. And then basically by that, a B2B2C. And that just made most sense because basically our our biggest um, merchants we were working with back then, Avis and Eurocar, um, they were of course offering cars mainly to consumers. Um, yeah, that's why we decided that. And um, the other things we, we said we really want to do is like we want to white label that proposition and we want to have a leaner team. We really want to like reduce OPEX and we also can because we are like stripping around away all those old product propositions. So we can say, um, okay, there are just also roles which are basically now redundant. Um, so yeah, that's where we were coming from. And then we decided, no, we need to change gears and we want to change direction to this new business model and also new and new product focus. So that was end of 2022, early 2023. Right. Mm -hmm. That was basically in um, in November, December. In December, we announced it to the team and said we did a round of layoffs and we said, okay, this is now the new direction of the company. And since then, because we're now eight, nine months yeah. further from that point. Yeah. What happened? What happened? Um, yeah. So I would say in, in summary, um, we didn't manage to to change to that new direction. We just didn't didn't succeed in that. Why not? And um, guess when I reflect, I can narrow it down to like four big like topics, I would say, and I'm happy to elaborate on some of them. First one was, I guess, like timing. <laughs> the second one, complexity. Yeah. The third one, team. And the last one, I would say, like just approach to building. Um, so the first one being like, on the timing side, as mentioned, like to, already early 2022, we were like, we need to be more capital efficient. It will be harder to raise money in this, this market climate. And we should already have back then, basically, when we were still having also like capital change the business model and making sure we basically reduce our exposure to financial risk. Mm -hmm. So just like instead of having the, the downside, basically, when someone doesn't pay, maybe only have the upside or as 
as planned to just move to a transaction fee. Um, so we should have done that way earlier. And also we said now we want to like actually strip strip off like Uber and Uber Eats and the other propositions. We should also have done that while we were still having capital. Because basically we did that end of the year and um, because we were not confident that we can run this business without any revenue, we weren't able to just like pause while we we're building this new product. But what we were doing is we were running the old product in parallel to starting the new product. Yeah, okay. And that was just too much complexity. There was way too much complexity. So we should have done, we should have, I have that actually in, in bold in my notes from back then, we should have acted earlier. We were like the frog in the, the boiling water. Mm. We didn't know, ah, shit, we need to jump now. Yeah, that was. I saw this beautiful figure, right? Do you think now, I mean, now it's easy to say with the knowledge that we have now. Yeah. I mean, that we would have should have jumped earlier out of the boiling water. Yeah. But um, do you think now upon reflection, were there clear signs where indeed you could have acted earlier or is it a situation of you handled with all of the knowledge and with your capacity and capabilities that you had in the best way possible. And it was something that was maybe hard to foresee. Mm, yeah, it's a good question. Um, could we have acted earlier? We could, but I guess, and maybe that speaks to your point, we didn't know that this is now the time to change. Yeah. As, as the frog in the boiling water, we didn't know that we need to jump. We had some, and that maybe goes to the second point, complexity. Our product was so complex because we had so... So two things, we had like exposure to different geographical like markets, but also multiple products, but also multiple processes. So I remember at a time, like where we had our weekly, for instance, LT meetings, for a long time, we weren't quite sure where, for instance, the credit losses are exactly coming from. Are they coming from people not paying? Are they coming from maybe since we built our own, I come to that in a second, our own, own invoicing, is it maybe like mistakes on our side, on the reporting side? So. It took us quite long to understand, to pinpoint it. Yeah. And I guess if we would have had a less complex product, then it would have e been easier for us to like um, pinpoint. Okay, this is this is the problem. This is this is our dio diagonalist. No, can't can't say that word, but I can <laughs> speak German. Um, but then it would have been easier for sure. So the second point was really like our product was just too complex. And that already started maybe early in 2021. And that we should have said no to way more things. When we said, oh, let's try maybe a business proposition for SMEs. At that point, we should either have said, oh, we can do that, but then we need to say no to something else. Or we should have just built it in a box, low code. Yeah, okay. So that we can like test it. And yeah, so that's why my really my new mantra since I would say this year is actually Simpli simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, really. Like, or in other words, if you if you don't understand simplicity, then you're not ready for any sophistication or any complexity. The European Women Payments Network annual event on the words is coming up on October 2nd and 3rd. The conference taking place in Vienna brings together a community from all over Europe and beyond for a combination of deep dive workshops, interactive panels and plenary sessions with industry female leaders. The awards dinner celebrates and recognizes individuals making tremendous contributions to the industry and organizations at the forefront in promoting diversity and inclusion. Grab your tickets today by visiting ewpnevents.eu. I guess further on from that is probably focus, right? I don't know on if it was an opportunistic 
kind of approach that was applied by need adding more product lines or additional mm-hmm. services like you did Dunning, customer support, all of it. So I guess you had the choice of buy first build. Yeah. I think it, it sounds like you chose to build a lot of stuff yourself. Yeah. Um, whereas if you would have, yeah, indeed followed uh, your mantra of simplicity is the ultimate sophistication uh, or applied more focus, then it could have been yeah. a different situation. Yeah, definitely. And also to have like the things I didn't have that mantra back then. <laughs> back then we were just, I guess why we we thought for some time that it's actually smart to basically um, spread the risk by having multiple product and things because then basically you can always, you can figure out what works the best and only focus on that. But, but we didn't quite do that. So yeah, we did had, and that's maybe then maybe jumping to the last point I first mentioned the approach. The approach to building was definitely we build way too much ourselves. For instance, the marketplace itself, right now I'm building like marketplace just in software in the Airtable. And I would like from now on always like um, everything that's also like a marketing asset doesn't need to really be built. Um, so definitely the same as like we build an invoicing system. Um, so we were, I feel we were doing two things. Either we were running critical processes manually, like collections, risk assessments at the beginning, or we were like at some point just building it ourselves. But we we didn't, we weren't often enough in that sweet spot in between. It's just like take a process, automate it. It doesn't need to be like a, a code automation even. It can just be like a, an Airtable automation even. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just not build everything ourselves. Um, so I would definitely um, change that um, for any future businesses, I would say. What about yeah. team? Yeah, team, um, a lot of learnings on the team side. I would say maybe even like, for me personally, they're like the biggest, the biggest learnings. So I guess the, so one part was, I guess I mentioned that we, we did three different cuts throughout the way. Actually, we did the first cuts beginning of last year, then end of last year, and then this year. And you can imagine like any cut in, on the team side in the business, like, gives like a lot of distraction and it takes like weeks, if not months to really like readjust and get back settled in yeah. and to be able to actually operate. So we should have like, in the future, I would say cut as as early as possible, as deep as possible, but then do that once. Um, and the other one was like, I would say more like team characteristics. You, you hear like we change direction from like Uber focus to consumers then to more going towards SaaS. But I learned like someone who, who effectively built like a hammer cannot necessarily build a screwdriver. And aside from that, it's just like we realized we need certain characteristics and people. So we had like, we built an army of doers, great people who can just like run and, and execute and who are motivated, but we didn't have enough people who can like solve problems independently. And there's this like, I'm paraphrasing now, but I guess there's this quote from was it Bill, Bill Gates of you should choose like a lazy person because the lazy person knows how to do a job effectively and easy. I guess we should have along the way have a bit of better mix of people in terms of seniority and, and skill set. And, yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, many learnings on the team side. And maybe the last one was like, I mentioned that we had a huge team. So we were hiring a lot in 2021 and 2022. And in... Uh, we needed to do that because we had such a big and complex product and so much exposure. But in the future, I really want to build teams like as lean as possible. I listened to that 
podcast last year around the time where we decided to to shift gears um, from the Y Combinator. And there was really like, be proud if you are able to run a successful company with a small team. I was like, so true, right? There is this like perception in the market when you say, hey, I'm, I'm running a startup or scale up, they will ask, how many people do you have? And if they say 150, like, wow, you must be hugely successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though maybe you are not and you're just burning money. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's a big learning, yeah. Yeah, I guess the, the, the market dynamics um, have probably played a part in this as much. Uh, yeah. Um, I guess from a team point of view, yes, of course, people are at the core of uh, any company. Mm-hmm. Um, and making those cuts, again, it's a wisdom easy picked up on after everything that's gone through, right? I guess the, probably the, and enlightened me, but you t- you made those three cuts because in the first cut you felt, okay, we make this cut, we'll be efficient, we can move on. Then the second cut, you felt, okay, we need to make another cut in order to actually be efficient. Yeah. Or did you know the first cut, we'll probably have to make two more cuts? Probably not. That's a good question, actually. I, I like to say we didn't know, but yeah, because we, yeah, that's true. No, we didn't know at that time. We thought that we, we also had different cuts. We we not only had cuts because of like cost reasons, but also like skill set, as said, we said we need to build more that that army of a good mix of seniority and skills and doers. Mm-hmm. So I guess we didn't know, but in hindsight, I must say, maybe we also were at times scared of the wind down cost. No one speaks usually about the, the costs of winding down. No. It's not it's not an immediate, obviously cost saver when you do cuts because you pay severance. Yeah. And um, we definitely took that into account as well. So looking ahead now, we, we looked a lot in the past, right? So knowing um, I thought a beautiful thing, like we said to you, you know. a lot. Um, looking ahead, what, what would you do differently? Um, or what does kind of the last two and a half years enable you to do moving forward for any other company you're going to start on your own or any other com- company you're going to join? Yeah. Um, what would you do differently from day one? From day one, I guess I would, di- I guess it starts with the product. I would diagnose the product and would look at like, what are you building? How complex is that? and really make sure to focus on one single use case and to really focus on that and marsing that and to like cut out all the noise that doesn't add any value. Um, and to really make sure that the baseline of the product works and it's easy to pinpoint or like to actually assess performance, what works, what doesn't work and try to like keep processes around the product like as um, as minimal as possible, but also just like automate them as, as quick as possible. So that's the first one. The second one, looking at the team actually, and really making sure what I, what I said to have, like, I feel that the team and the people, that's your superpower yeah. because to be honest, like that's at least my opinion, everyone on earth can come up with every idea at any time, but really, I feel what really makes the difference between like success and failure is the, the brains and the company, the people. So execution I, is a tough bit. The execution is the, the most difficult part. Um, and also like to, the brains to while executing, maybe you need the brains to say, hey, let's stop a second. Does this make sense? Let's do a sanity check while we are executing. Mm-hmm. And maybe let's change something. And that's why I would say always in every company or company I would build myself looking at the team to have really the right 
people on board. And the right people is not just like skills, can do this, can do that, but more mindset, grit, um, just approach to building, optimism. How many people says that? How would you look for that in someone? Uh, ask you to help me hiring. <laughs> Great, well, it's good for a start, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so I guess, I mean, I, I changed um, how I'm interviewing over the years, but it really just comes down to, that sounds not really simple, but just like an honest conversation and to really like double click on a lot of things people are saying, okay, but why is that the case? Why do you believe that? Give some examples. And um, yeah, and I also realized really hiring over time, you just get better at that. You create this this muscle of intuition and to not get too blinded almost by someone saying, yeah, but I worked at booking and like data analytics, I can do this and that. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't matter probably at the end of the day. What about pivoting? Because you guys pivoted in your two and a half years three times. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we, we tried, I would say. So I would say pivoting, the, the key for me is really to do it as, but the first signs, to do it as early as possible um, and to, yeah, act act as fast as fast as possible. But then also there, and that, that comes to that, I would say to, um, to have like a product infrastructure, also technical interest infrastructure that allows that, where it doesn't take like, half a year to actually shift direction, but where you can um, strip out maybe parts of the codes where you're a bit more like dynamic in actually doing that. Um, yeah, and I guess if you want to, like generally, if you're planning to, or you can already foresee your company will need to pivot at some point, then don't don't have an operations arm even, because as soon as you have, have assets like cars or whatever it is, it will be harder Yeah, because people need to get out of the car. <laughs> pivot as early as possible. Yeah, pivot as early as possible, build the, the simplest product on earth <laughs> and um, focus on the team and the people and get, get your right army together. You obviously know all this because of this last, well, I mean, you've had more than a two and a half year career, but specifically these last two and a half years seem to have made a significant impact on, I guess you look at these things yeah. right now. Is it something you would not have wanted to miss for the world? Are you glad? and? Grateful for the experience you had over these past two and a half years. Yeah, can't 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 even express. Like this was definitely career-wise for me the most important two years or two and a half years. And yeah, I, I massively learned, but I must say it was also like tough time. So it wasn't only like, uh, yeah, it was tough days. Uh, it's tough also to stand and of course in the all hands and to announce like cuts or like it's it has been tough, but. I feel like I have now a pretty clear picture of like how I want to show up in a business in the future and also like what I want to do different and how I would like just run a company. Yeah. I guess in times when you get beaten up is when you learn the most, right? They're oh, hard right. and they're tough, but you generally come out. You need to guard. Yeah. Like you said, anyone can be successful in a market where uh, investment is flying around, where things are going well, where the economy is thriving. Yeah, uh, but it's those times when things don't go so well, uh, where it's really uh, you get uh, uh, the best out of yourself, or you at least you have the opportunity to get the best out of yourself. So, Fritz, see, yeah, uh, amen. Done that. <laughs> um, also, Connie, thanks very much for this conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to uh, yeah learn a bit more about your journey um, and your mantra: simplicity is ultimate sophistication. I'll uh, put that on the <laughs> here in the office. 
Um, and uh, thanks for stopping by and good luck with uh, what's yet to come. Thanks. Big soon. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Work It Out. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button and follow our social media channels to stay updated with the latest from PCN Podcasts.